HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show is being brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, believers in good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported nonprofit food radio station. That means that every single thing we do, from broadcasting 35 weekly shows for free to bringing you exclusive content from sold-out food events across the country to offering scholarships to high school students, is only possible thanks to the support of our loyal members. And we want you to join the club. Become a member during our 2017 Summer Drive to get access to sweet swag and pledge your support to the world's only food radio station. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to become a member now. Hello, this is Dana Cowan, your host of Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network. On Speaking Broadly, I share inspirational tales from the world of food and inspirational stories from incredible people. On today's show, I'm going to try something new. I'm going to do a blind taste test of pastry from Minneapolis. So you're going to have to hang around and see how that goes. And I'm also going to introduce you to a woman who takes charge of both programming at one of the most important festivals in the entire country, and also takes incredible charge of her life. But first, let's talk about a meal that I had a couple of weeks ago. I was invited to a displaced kitchen's dinner down on the Lower East Side. The invitation came through Instagram, and it was from someone who I hadn't met and had never heard of, his restaurant, which is called Mazash, which is... Palestinian Latino, which on the face of it seemed confusing to me. And then later I learned that there's cultural precedence to put these two cuisines together. But I went because I was really interested in refugees, food, and what I could do to help. And that's what this dinner was all about. The chef that night, Naz Job, was celebrating a a gay refugee from Syria named Lufti. Lufti cooked one of the dishes, and Naz cooked 
the rest. So I can tell you all about the falafel. I could tell you that it was, you know, crispy and fluffy. And I could tell you about the hummus and how authentic it was. I could talk about the baklava, which is a recipe that comes from 1860 and how different it was. And I'm telling you that, obviously. But what I really want to focus on is the story of this refugee and how he was chased from three different countries before he arrived in America. Nas is doing another dinner this Friday, July 21st. If you're interested, go to the site Comeda, K-O-M-E-E-D-A dot com to sign up. There were 10 people at the table. We shared our own stories. We learned Lufti's story. And I left so moved and wanting to help in any way I could just share um, his journey and then encourage other people to support the chefs. The cost of the dinner, which is about $65 per person, goes to the help support the refugee. So now we're going to move to food. I'm going to bring on an amazing pastry chef named Diane Yang. Diane lives in Minnesota. She is from a refugee family. Her parents were, are Hmong, and they moved to Wisconsin, and she grew up there with five siblings on a farm. So, Diane, how are you? Welcome to Speaking Broadly. Hi, thank you for having me. So delighted. So I'm, I'm curious. Um, you're the pastry chef at Spoon and Stable and at Belcour with Gavin Kaysen in, uh, in Minneapolis. I love Gavin so much, and I know he loves you so much. So the transitive factor of love means that I love you, even though I haven't met you. Um, and I'm curious, because I was just talking about this dinner that I attended in um, on the Lower East Side in New York City, where we had the food of, essentially it was Palestinian, um, Palestinian food, yeah. to celebrate a refugee. Now, I know that your parents were refugees. What are the lessons that they taught you as you were growing up with um, about living in America and prospering? You know, it was my dad's always, it's, it's both. My mom was always like, hey, let's try to be more American. Let's, you know, we have to learn the American language. Versus my dad is like, no, we still have to keep our Hmong uh, culture. You know, we still have to cook and talk. Like, we've only... We were only um, allowed to speak Hmong at home. Wow. You know, versus my mom, who's trying to go to school to get her GED and trying to work two jobs on top of going to school. Like, she was like, no, we need to adapt to the American life. So we were always brought up right in the, right in the middle. So we kind of chose, like, which side, which side were you on, mom's side or dad's side? And, <laughs> you know, I believe in both worlds, you know. And I think that's kind of how we were all brought up now is we can't lose what we are, but yet we are in America and we still have to adapt to that. So does any of that notion about where you come from um, feed into the the pastry that you make? I think so. Um, my parents are really, really hardworking people. Like, I, some, sometimes I go back to the farm and I can't really keep up with them. They're in the sun all day long farming and then they'll go home and they'll go spend time with friends and family who has events going on. And they go on all day and they'll probably have a few hours of sleep, you know. 
And sometimes I compare my job to that. I work a lot. I work hard. I love having friends and family. I always make time for my friends and family as much as I can. So I think a lot of what they do does um, show who I am, too. And what about the, the, the flavors and the tastes and the things that you grew up with in Wisconsin? Is that something that you bring into the kitchen with you? Or, you know, Gavin is coming from the French tradition, and then you were at La Belle Vie um, in Minneapolis for 12 years, which, again, is quite traditional. But does any of your that heritage cooking come through? Yeah, you know, I've, I, I think that my palate comes from that. You know, my palate comes from my mom and dad. You know, like Asians, we normally don't like sweet, sweet dessert. Um, everything's always, you know, for example, like a strawberry shortcake would be a prime example of something that'd be really, really good that we would love. Um, so I never go really on the sweet side. The old school sweet icing is just not me. And um, I've learned to make my desserts with, I've been very fortunate to work with really good chefs with Tim and Gavin, and I've learned their palate. So it's a combination of everything. And I, I know that you're very interested in the savory side of the pastry kitchen, and maybe that's, that comes from, um, you know, just not being, having such a sweet tooth. Yeah, you know, I always tell all my pastry assistants uh, and my sous chefs, like, I worked, you know, you always have to work, you know how it is in a restaurant. Sometimes pastry, always have to work garmage. And I think it's great to adapt um, a palate, a savory palate. It only makes you better. Your palate only gets better. So I always encourage my pastry staff to learn how to work the savory line because it really helps your palate. The savory, how the acidity of a salad and the salt, everything plays a role. I don't think my desserts are more savory, but I really think that there's a balance to it. Um, I see. So you're saying... The sweetness and the salt and acidity, everything plays together. That's so interesting. Well, I'm going to try something that we've never done here on air because there's something funny about being you know on radio where people can't see it although that's true with tv too but <laughs> we're gonna hear the bag crinkle the crinkly bag and um i'm opening up the queen amon twists that you sent me in a basket today and uh we're gonna we're gonna taste them but as we taste them i want you to tell me how did you come up with this idea for a queen amon twist and what is a queen well, of twist? Amon, yeah, the queen of Mon twist was, you know, we always have, like, the trimming from the queen of Mon. And so, we ex- will you explain well, to listeners up, what that is? Yeah, so what ends up, well, kind of. It it kind of, we like, hey, let's bake it to see what we can do with it. We turn it into a crumble, uh, which we do utilize the crumble on one of our desserts for the peach crate. And then that, we just decided, you know, if we sell more of it. People love it with coffee and their tea. So we ended up just doing... Kuniman twist instead of kuniman for the bakery. So we explain what a kuniman is. Basically, kuniman is basically just croissant dough with uh, sugar laminated into it. Um, so when you bake it, it's it's like a croissant, but it's like soft and crunchy. But ours is just baked all the way through, so you have um, all the crunchiness all the way through. So it's really good. It doesn't. Sometimes I'm looking at it; it doesn't look appealing. But it's one of those things you have one, and you have to have more. Well, okay, you have um, a couple of tasters here, me, and then our next guest, Kelly Krause, who um, is with South by Southwest, and our amazing engineer, David Tatashore, who, you know, doesn't always get to have the same fun as the rest of us, because he's at 
his board as the engineer. Okay, Kelly? I'm having fun now. Yeah, it's good. It's, um, what do you think? It's really crunchy. It's not too sweet. It's perfectly sized to like fit in the back of my cycling jersey, which is something I think about in pastry snacks because I'll burn it off later. Um, and it's, it doesn't crumble too much where it, like I would be embarrassed eating this on a date, which is very important to know. Okay. Yeah. Um, David, what do you think? Yeah. Um, delicious. <laughs> it, yeah. I love the crunchiness. Um, not what I was expecting. What were you expecting? Uh, I, I don't know. I, was th- I looked at it and I thought it was more of like a soft croissant type of, mm-hmm. of pastry. And yeah. Hang on, I need to take another bite. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I um, I had the advantage of seeing these in advance. It's basically as if you cut through a, a layer of a croissant and then twisted it, kind of the way a cheese straw looks, and then you smushed it with an iron. Um, yep. and, and then you baked it so that it, it, the color is like a caramelly brown, but then the flavor yep. is what's truly incredible because it tastes so caramelly brown mm-hmm. and it's I personally like crunchy foods um, I live in a family of people who don't like who hate crunchy foods because I hate the sound of crunchy foods but <laughs> wow. um, but I love the way it's like a, it's like an elephant ear that's shaped like um, a tassel okay David's now yeah. had David's now had another bite what do you say after your second bite oh I caught you you're still no. chewing <laughs> It's great for radio, though. Great sound effects. Yeah, I, it's delicious. It's it's buttery, but awesome. not not overly so. Um, so I think that to me, the inspiration is clear from the Savory Kitchen um, because of those cheese twists. You know, um, they were ubiquitous for a time. I think they've moved away now. But I think that your Queen Amante twists should now be u- ubiquitous. I think there's going to be knockoffs all across America. Um, the, <laughs> next, the next thing, you can hear the Russell Russell. The next thing we're going to try is a Madeleine. Um, will you explain what a Madeleine is and why your Madeleines are different? Madeleines, it's the mold that's baked in. It kind of just reminds me of, like, yellow cake, basically. So it's, like, the batter that you bake, but then it has to be, like, the hot, the heat of the oven and the fan. It Madeleine should be baked with a hump. And so in the beginning, it was really hard for us to figure out how to get this hump and, you know, with turning the fan up and the heat up and the batter letting it sit, everything plays into a roll, and you just get this um, really nice clamshell looking like... It's a pregnant um, clamshell. It's like the clamshell on the back <laughs> and the little yeah. pregnant bump. So we, we served these plain. We tried selling it with just dipped chocolate. And it did really well, but then um, we threw sprinkles on it, and and I I know it was probably not traditional, dipping it in chocolate and sprinkles, but it's super cute, and people love them. Okay, let's see what the taste testers here at Heritage Radio Network thought, Kelly. It's good. It's soft and spongy. I like those little tiny ball sprinkles. I don't know what they're called, but I like them better than the longer ones. Um, (laughs) Jimmy's. What's that? Jimmy's. Yeah. Um, called, they're called Jimmy's. Really? Wait, oh, I thought you were just being funny. No. <laughs> well, like, thank you. I'm like, yeah, Jimmy's. Um, and not too sweet. It's really, and not too dense either. It's one of the yeah. best ma- Madeleines I've ever had. I mean, Madeleines, to be, for it to be really good, you should, it, it should be eaten, like, right out of the oven. Mm. That's when it's best. Did I mean, I, know that. Yeah. I guess that goes with cookies and a lot of things, too, correct? 
Um, I think Madeline's mm. more so than than others. Okay, David, yes. what's your take on the uh, chocolate dipped? Yeah, I, I feel like it almost didn't even need the chocolate. It was just so good on its mm-hmm. own. Um, and the chocolate was, I, I, I feel like a, a heretic saying that because chocolate <laughs> is my, maybe my favorite thing ever. But um, yeah, it just, it that was almost like the, the added bonus on top of what was already very amazing. So I, I think what's great about the this Madeleine, it is like, um, it's kind of like a sponge cake that's um, half dipped in chocolate and then has these beautiful sprinkles. So you get something crunchy, mm-hmm. something a little creamy, which is the chocolate, something that's airy. And so it's really combining three dessert types. It's kind of like an ice cream dessert type, a cake dessert type, and a chocolate dessert type all in one. And they're pretty, so I can see them as really good gifts. Yeah. Okay, so... Yeah. For our last taste test, we still have a full box here, but I'm going to let Kelly reach in and figure out what Fun. the last thing we taste is going to be. Is it ice cream? <laughs> uh, no ice cream. Um, I don't know. There could be. It could be a croissant. It could be a French pan. It could be a bran. She's rooting around. Yeah, there's she's rooting, several I hear bags. it. I hear it. Okay. She what chose. What did you choose? The traditional croissant, okay. which is probably not so traditional, but... I like, um, Diane, I like the way you weren't scared to change up tradition with both of these um, desserts that we've tried today. Because some people, you know, would feel like a Madeleine should just be left alone. Um, But no. Okay. Nothing sacred. Kelly's in it. The croissant is coming. Okay. Now, the amazing thing about the croissant is that it actually made... A, a food critic in Minneapolis cry. I read the review, and I thought, you know what? That would make me cry, too. He basically said that the croissant dough was... Um, the croissant... It was actually a pain au chocolat, I think. Yeah. Um, because the way that the chocolate peaked out was perfect, and it wasn't overcooked, which showed you use the right temperature, and the layers yeah. were perfect, and there was flakiness on the top. And he dissected this croissant... Actually, pan, sorry, pan au chocolat. To the degree that's like, oh my god, I would have cried too. Um, okay, mm-hmm. Kelly, what do you say? Oh, chewing. Super buttery. Yeah. Flaky, but not like crumbly. I picked this because I became obsessed with these on the streets of Paris, and now I can never right. turn one down. Um, delicious. Okay. So like, awesome. yeah. Thank you. Okay, David. Yeah, it's very it's very dense and moist, if I can use a bad word. Um, <laughs> and, and, and yeah, the flaky, like normally the flakiness of, of, you know, your standard coffee shop croissants kind of annoys me and, mm-hmm. and, and you know, it sticks in the back of your throat and chokes you and this is none of that. <laughs> you are a moody eater, David. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know what I like. <laughs> That's great. Okay, well, Diane, I mean, thank you so much for sending us these box of treats. And, yeah. Um, and I... I'm excited that we got to do the first ever blind taste test of something so delicious. Yeah, thank you so much for doing that. And um, I hope you guys enjoy the rest of it. Um, <laughs> yes, believe me, it's not going to, to waste as we've just eaten our way through these um, few wonderful things. So take care. I look forward to seeing you in Minneapolis. And please say hi to Gavin and uh, Tim McKee for me. I will. Will do. And with that, we're going to take a short commercial break, and we will be back to hear about South by Southwest, food, innovation, technology, 
and a really inspiring path to wellness. Bob's Red Mill has been milling whole grains since 1978. When you mill whole grains, you get all three parts, the bran, the germ, and the endosperm. The bran, or the roughage, makes up about 14% of the whole grain. It's the outer skin of the edible kernel. It contains large amounts of B vitamins, some protein, trace minerals, phytochemicals, but most importantly, dietary fiber. The germ is only about 2.5% of the kernel. It's actually the sprouting section of the seed, what's going to grow into a plant. It's usually separated during milling process because it contains most of the fat and therefore has a shorter shelf life. The endosperm is the main energy storage unit of the seed. That's where the growing plant gets its energy before it can start photosynthesizing and making its own. It makes up a huge portion of the grain, about 83%, and it's the main source that's used for white flour. When you make white flour, you get rid of the germ and the bran and just have the white endosperm left. It contains almost all the carbohydrates. It also contains protein and iron and some of the other B vitamins as well. It's kind of what you classically think of when you're thinking of flour. So all that's there when you're milling with whole grains, but when you mill with whole grains, you also get the bran, which is the kind of roughage and gives that, that's what gives that, that kind of color to it. Also gives you extra fiber that uh, helps you to be regular. And you also get the germ, which adds the fat and the flavor, which we all like from whole grains. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. Welcome back to Speaking Broadly. This is your host, Dana Cowan, and I am so excited to introduce you to Kelly Kraus. Over the past seven years, Kelly's worked for South by Southwest, which is quite a nice chunk of time. Um, First as the head of publicity and media relations for South by's interactive arm, and now she is the South by Southwest Interactive Conference Programming Manager, which means all that amazing programming that you hopefully have experienced or have, you know, envy over not experiencing, she is the one responsible for it. But she is also an avid cyclist and writes an inspiring uh, lifestyle column for Camille Styles, which is a great site. Um, so welcome, welcome Kelly. Thank you. I mean, Happy you were here. here, you were here anyway, <laughs> since you were eating, but I mean, welcome to the part where you get to talk about you. Yeah. Thank you. As opposed to Diane Yang's incredible, uh, pastries. So you have seen so many ideas at South by Southwest. It is the birthplace of conversations. It's a way for people in technology and creative industries to connect and network, share ideas, and bring new thoughts out into the world. What have been some of the most interesting things that you feel you've seen just in your seven years there? Yeah. So it doesn't even have to that's be last good, year. Yeah, that's <laughs> a good question. Um, overall, it's been really cool to see how the event has evolved with culture. 
and and things we've been talking about early on from um, just using apps and and seeing the rise of on-demand services and how folks have been coming to South by to um, reach a huge target audience of early adopters. So TaskRabbit and Hipstamatic, which isn't on demand, but used to be a, a photo app to Instagram to Snapchat and um, uh, various like video um, video platforms as well. It's It's been really cool to see Periscope is what I was referring to. Yeah. It's been really cool to see all of that come to fruition. And Okay, so wait a minute. Yeah. Those things were at South by first. So then I really do want to know, what did you see last year where you're well, like, <laughs> you know what? It's the next Instagram. Like, yeah. Did you feel like you saw that thing? Well, my, my whole point... So some of these folks didn't necessarily come to come to South by Southwest to launch, but they came to reach a broader audience. Um, and some did. Um, but it's really like, I wouldn't consider South by to be a place for app discovery necessarily mm-hmm. more so than just innovations in technology and the film industry and music industry across the board. So that's, what's been really cool to see evolve. And now our industries are converging so much. So what was once maybe siloed under um, South by Southwest Interactive in perhaps the health track now falls into our social impact track or our food track or our style track, even our design track. So um, it's it's just been really fascinating to watch culture and these technologies start to influence um, and inform how we are consuming and how we're thinking about things. And okay, I'm uh, still, yeah, I'm still, I still, <laughs> okay. So last I, year, <laughs> I can't give up on the specific. Yes, like, so, so because broadly, broadly speaking, mm-hmm. um, that's so interesting. But I'm always curious about what is the specific thing? Like, what what did you see that you're like that's cool? Well, I've seen a lot more conversations that are taking us offline more so than being online and always connected. So, for instance, Andy Puttycomb gave a keynote speech um, that was... Tell everyone who he is. Oh, right. So Andy Puttycomb is the CEO and creator, founder of Headspace, the meditation app. So he came to South by, he delivered a keynote on the importance of um, meditating and how that will make you a better employee and um, more patient and kind and smarter and just a better, uh, better person in, in general. So it was really cool to see for the first time, everyone put their phones down, you know, 3000 people put their phones down, close their eyes and meditate. And I have to like, think it was the first time that we've ever had that much silence at the event <laughs> and, and people really taking time for themselves. Um, so that sort of sparked um, more conversations in the health industry and us launching this year, a wellness track for 2018 um, so I think we're seeing a lot more innovations in the self-care and health and med tech space. Um, in terms of something specific, last year, um, so I oversee the style track of programming, and it was really inspiring to witness um, a couple designers um, uh, talk about how they're using role models instead of runway models for the runway. So featuring women with disabilities and those who are in wheelchairs, and it's just fascinating how... Is that a thing? I love that yeah. phrase. Is that a thing? It's a thing. Yeah. Role models, not not runway models. Runway models. Yeah, 
Yeah. So, and, but on the food side, we've had some really cool sessions and, and even fun sessions about how breakfast is transforming America with Jessica Coslow of Squirrel to... That was a great panel. Yeah. Uh, Christina Tosi yes. was on that panel. Yes. Yeah. Uh, super fun to, you know, the UN... Do you think it's true? I mean, do you think breakfast... I mean, I know that from a trend perspective, which I, you know, I track these things, yes, restaurants are serving breakfast. Yes, there's a lot more breakfast. There's extra crispy. We had Kat Kinsman who works on Extra Crispy, which is a timing website devoted to breakfast. Mm-hmm. She was on Speaking Broadly. But do you feel it, like, where you live? Do you feel totally. it? Totally. You do. Totally. I mean, I I would prefer a breakfast meeting over a dinner meeting any day of the oh week. Oh, my gosh, me too. I'm so jazzed at 8 a.m. to get going. So, yeah, yeah I definitely do. Um, and, we, you know, we even had some great sessions about um, synthetic biology and how you can really make anything out of these microbes. And Were you making food out of the microbes? They, the panelists were not. They weren't doing live demos, which would have been really cool, but um, they just spoke about it. And then the UN Food Program came and talked about how they um, are trying, you know, they have this really strong effort um, to end global poverty and, and, or, um, and no children hungry, I think, was the, the name of their campaign. So... There's a little bit of everything at the event, but we really want to hear from the most creative and inspiring and forward-thinking individuals and humans and companies, and they all deserve a place at the event. I wish we could program every single thing we see, but... Having um, worked on festivals, because food and, when I was at Food and Wine Magazine, we had the Food and, food and Wine Magazine Classic at Aspen, and I, with my team and the sales team, curated that event really tightly like we chose every minute of Mm -hmm. programming but with south by southwest you get to submit Mm -hmm. right so you're choosing from submissions which is such an interesting way to see what's actually happening in the world yes so have you seen a change in the kinds of submissions and the volume of submissions that you get the volume, yes. And and every year there's, I would say, there's a lot more interesting and innovative things um, coming through the pipeline just as technology is changing as well. So, yeah, the, the number's growing every year, which is awesome and fascinating and inspiring to see so many people feel like they're ready to talk about something or they feel empowered to share. Um, it's, it's a really cool process. It's open right now, actually. Um, Panel Picker closes on the 21st of July. And like you said, it's our crowdsourced uh, platform for anybody to uh, share an idea and enter it into enter their proposal um, into that platform. And then you have a sort of a three step review process. Yes. Right. So do you want yeah, to- sure. So um, We opened voting up on August 7th to our community, which is, again, anybody that wants to just create um, an account. You can research every and and browse every single proposal that comes through. And then, um, so Dana, you could vote on food sessions if you wanted to. I would love that. I'm going to go right in there. (laughs) And then um, our advisory board uh, does a round of reviewing and then the staff does as well. So what makes it to that final round is... um, announced on October 16th, I believe. And then we do a lot of curating of programming as well, whether it's keynotes or high-profile featured speakers. I'm here this week in New York um, talking to a lot of style uh, folks in the industry and hearing what they're working on. Same with food. Um, so it's it's just sitting down and chatting with people and hearing their stories and what they're working on all the time, which I love doing. So did any of those uh, food conversations burble to the top and you feel like, you know... 
you've seen the future there? Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. yeah. Um, some interesting stuff, but I think um, preliminary talks for a lot of folks, and we are just getting the conversation going. So um, I think in the next like month or so, so now, will come to fruition. I feel like th- I read something about the avocado. The, like the avocado-matic. The avocado-matic. Yeah, actually. Which was last year. Some of, some of the programming that, that is done by your sponsors is mm-hmm. very interesting. Yeah. I was wondering how that, that works because their activations yes. seem to provide a lot of free food, yeah, a lot of entertainment, but also very interesting innovations along the way. Yeah. So, yeah, we work with... That's a different sort of tier of programming, if you will. It's called partner programming. And we work with clients who want to come in and and activate in a larger way. So um, perhaps they have a product that they want to specifically discuss. They, they pay us to do that. And then most of them have either a party or some type of event surrounding that as well for extra promotion. So we don't do a lot of it, uh-huh. to be honest. Um, the bulk of the programming that you're going to see at South by Southwest in our venues and our official programming comes from panel picker or actual staff curation. Um, but it is a possibility and it's I interesting. Guess the, I guess the thing that I was captivated by was um, the with Snickers. Yeah. Because Snickers had an x-ray machine. Yeah. And so you were having x-rayed Snicker samples. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that was kind of cool. Some folks get really creative. A couple years ago, Oreo um, was at the event. And I think they were in our trade show and then they were uh, off-site, but they were doing 3D printed Oreos. So it was kind of the rise of the 3D printer and... And also personalization and, and customization. Because yes. also another thing, with the, I was just looking back at the avocado, um, you can customize your avocado dish, which, you know, you come in and you you just get to be a creator. Yeah. But instead of being like painter. I know, didn't get to see that, which is film. no real surprise. I wish I could see everything that was there right. and uh, have access to all of it. But you'd have to triplicate yourself. Yes. Or, <laughs> Definitely. You, or 3D, right. You'd have to 3D print yourself, <laughs> which wouldn't be so good. Yeah. So... Um, I'm obviously in, entranced by what you get to do in terms of programming because it's, it's kind of what an editor does, right? You try to find the most interesting things and then you share them with the large audience. Mm-hmm. But I'm also in, interested in your personal journey because you have taken on some really big challenges that actually are now dovetailing with what you're doing at South by Southwest, which is yeah. in the wellness track. Yes. And I, um, and so. I was reading a piece that said that you were you weighed 300 pounds, and one day you decided that you were going to change that. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me that story? Sure. Yeah, I was well over 300 pounds. I think it was like 325. Um, and uh, it was 2013, and I had just, um, in the span of a couple months, had finished South By, had um, gotten on this flight where I couldn't fit in the seat at all and definitely could not buckle my seatbelt. Um, I was winded going up a flight of stairs with some clients. Um, so had to take the elevator, which was wildly embarrassing. And I just reached my breaking point. I was sitting down to Easter dinner with my sister and we were eating fried chicken and this huge spread was in front of us. And I just felt physically ill and I had reached my breaking point and I was like, no more, I am not living like this anymore. 
And um, I didn't. Had you had that thought in your mind before and not acted on it, or it was really like the first time? No, I definitely had it in my mind before, but I don't think I wanted it bad enough. Mm-hmm. Whether I was making excuses for myself or it didn't feel like the right time um, with South by around the corner or just too many activities. But the real like joke in all of this is that's life. There's always going to be <laughs> that's right. something around the corner and, and something stopping you. You just need to change your perspective. I needed to change my perspective. So, um, the next day was April 1st, April Fool's. So I didn't tell anyone I was doing this. I would feared they would be like, yeah, right. You know, and also April Fool's joke, of course. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I just, um, that evening went to bed and thought about all the things I needed, needed to change. And, and it really came down to the fact that I wasn't treating myself well at all. I wasn't being kind. I was shaming myself. I was embarrassed. I would hide. And none of that was productive at all. So I was, I've made like a pact with myself and made some rules that there would be no looking back every day and every effort that I put into anything was a step in the right direction and that I was only moving forward. And it has been an amazing journey. I lost over 135 pounds. Um, a lot of good has come out of it. It's definitely been, um, up and down in terms of, understanding what is right for my body and how to treat myself right. And I keep getting better or I'll take a step back and then I'll pivot and all of that is fine. Um, I now know how to deal with it. So I know you you don't actually, you just said you don't actually spend your time looking back, but I'm curious on the road from whatever size you were to Mm -hmm. um, the 300 plus. Did you, were you eating feelings? Like did you end up there out of some sadness or some pain because it seems like the road there is yeah. not short. Yeah. And turning back on whatever that was. Yeah. That got you there must somehow play a role here. Yeah. I'm sure I should probably have, get therapy. I'm sure a therapist would tell me um what it was underneath, but I I feel like the core of all of it was I just didn't care about uh-huh. myself. I didn't care. I didn't value myself enough to treat myself well enough to um, eat well and eat the right portions and fuel fuel my body appropriately and my mind. And now understanding how much of my mind is connected to my body, to my soul, to my heart, to sleep, to everything. It's it's a no brainer. But I just I don't feel like I had um, the tools to make smart choices and. So did you yeah. then go in search of those tools or did you just, I just started giving a damn about myself. I just started, um, moving. That was my very, there was no diet. I was like, I just need to get out and move. If I'm winded going up a flight of stairs, I need to move. So my very first workouts were actually, um, walking up and down this, um, set of outdoor stairs, uh, in Austin at Mount Bunnell and just going until like I was just zonked and couldn't go any further. And then I got stronger and then I would lose weight and then that felt better. And then I would fuel myself, um, with proper food and real clean food. And I felt better from there. So it was just this snowball effect of greatness. And then I, I think I almost got too strict with myself and too obsessive and so thin that I, the pendulum swung the other way. And I was like, well, I can, now I can just like let loose. And that's, that's just not life. Like that I had to learn, like I had to learn the hard way and I'm still, I'm still learning a lot about myself and what I respond well to and what I don't, but I can't say I know for sure what, if I was using food to hide behind something, I 
definitely used it for celebrations uh-huh. and joyous festivities. And I love rosé and I love, you know, <laughs> wonderful dinners with friends. And I don't know what it was that got me to that point, but I just don't think I cared. Right. I think that's really what it was. And it's amazing to wake up one day and care, but you cared because you felt like crap. So yeah. Yeah, that's and I was just I was also worried like what the future meant for me, too. It was right right after South by when I was able to like think about everything a little bit more and not have to be fill my time with work and really focus on myself. And I got really real and raw. And it seems like you actually have taken that and you tried to help other people with it, which I just I I love the way, um, you know, you write this column, which is fantastic. And it seems like you also helped inspire your sister, which was, you know, mm-hmm. if you can help one person, that's great to help someone in the family. Totally agree. But in, in what, like, how did that take place? Uh, helping other yeah. people. I got a ton of questions as I started posting um, pictures of my workouts and like the pounds I was losing on Instagram. And it's, it's funny looking back, it's for me so much less about the number and more about everything that I was gaining along the way, which I know sounds kind of cheesy, but it really is true. But several folks reached out through cycling. Um, you know, most cyclists are quite thin and very fast and very strong. And bicycling magazine did this piece on me about getting dropped. It was a whole feature. So there were other folks included, but I was definitely like the curvy girl, uh, featured and I received several emails Uh, from random strangers telling me thanks so much for this it's so great to see a curvy woman on a bike you make me feel like I'm supported and and I was like I need to start talking about the struggles a lot more so in in my writing for this column called living kindly I, I get raw and vulnerable and I share my insecurities and I share like it, yeah, it sucks when I'm at the when I'm a cycling ambassador leading a group ride and the women on the group ride drop me because I'm too slow. That all sucks. But if you just change your perspective and, and look at it and see that you're out there, you're doing something you love, you're not hurting anyone. They know they're going to wait for you at the top of the hill <laughs> and uh, and you're doing something good and, and you're inspiring. Then there's nothing wrong with that. And I need to tell that story more. So. so I'm very, very glad to share it here. I think that's, um, that's great. So, um, you love food. I mean, you, yeah. And you like really good food. Yeah. So tell me, and you've been eating around cause I've been watching yeah. where you're eating. You have very good taste. <laughs> so, uh, what are some of the, your favorite places to eat good, clean, healthy food? Oh gosh. Well, I love, love, love dimes. I was just there for dinner the other night. Um, this is New York specifically. Um, I always have a meal at ABC Kitchen, always and forever. That kale salad is my favorite. Hey, what about Austin? Oh, you, in Austin, you live in yes. Austin. Okay, yeah, for sure. Um, I'm at Josephine House almost every week. Um, they do amazing salads. Uh, their breakfast is awesome. I'm at True Food Kitchen quite a bit. Um, any of uh, Larry McGuire's restaurants, I know you interviewed June um, from June's All Day, but any of his restaurants are skew pretty healthy so it's really easy to order there um yeah and what about LA because you you worked in LA for a time yeah I was in LA for a while um much like ABC Kitchen Jelena is my go-to in LA um I really enjoy Squirrel and Jessica's Bowls and um uh Honey High just had that Last time I was back. Oh, I haven't had that. Yeah, it's really good. I what think is it's it? an Echo Park. Um, it's it's a small menu, but they do like grain bowls and 
breakfast bowls. I'm really into these breakfast bowls with like arugula and a, and a turmeric it's all, egg. It's all coming full circle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you think that it's crowdsourced <laughs> and community chosen content, but actually, yeah. <laughs> breakfast no. bowls, it's all about you. Yeah. Um, and you came from Nebraska. Tell me about how you think um, the food world that you grew up in there shaped the eater and the person you became. Yeah, Nebraska, small town Nebraska, uh, Columbus, a town of 19,000, I believe, when I was growing up. So I grew up in the 90s, like, well, early 80s and 90s, and it was very much the fat-free snack wells, um, frozen dinner era. So our family, I mean, we had some home-cooked meals, but they were not healthy whatsoever. So it wasn't really until I moved to L.A., I mean, this is an embarrassing story. I'll never forget it. I was on my first day at the job at E! Entertainment, and we were at this press junket, and this uh, colleague handed or was eating this bag of orange, like delicious looking fruit. And I was like, what is that? She's like, it's mango. How do you not know what this oh, is? No. Like, I've never seen that before. So that if that tells you what my, my childhood was like. Um, but I, I was just too curious about food in general and and knew what we were eating probably wasn't healthy. And there were more fresh um, fresh items and and a different array of food that was just new to me. So, and how did you launch out of Nebraska to you know, launch into the entertainment world and then South by Southwest? I think I came out of the womb, like needing to leave the, leave, <laughs> leave the, leave the state. You left the womb and then you want to leave the state. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I've just always um, been super curious about what else is going on in the world. Um, I went to, uh, during, well, during undergrad, I, moved to Washington, D.C. and interned at CNN. So I got to see a little bit of the world and culture that way. Then during graduate school, I got my internship at E! Entertainment and the Style Network. Um, so I just I knew I was I knew I was ready to leave and just explore. And I, I'm still so highly curious about people and their stories and where they come from and and different parts of this country. And there's just so much beauty and being able to get out of your circle and out of your zone and out of your city and hear about what other people are doing. Even if, even if you just go for a day or two, it's, it's amazing. And it's really beautiful. The people that you run into and that you meet, you just have to make yourself do it. Right. When you have such a beautiful openness to meet those people. So on this show, I always ask my guests to pay it forward Mm -hmm. and to uh, nominate a woman for the Hall of Dames. So is there a woman who you admire, ideally in the food world? Mm-hmm. Um, because I know your, your world is quite a bit broader, but yeah. who you nominate and, and why would you choose them? Oh, gosh, this is a no-brainer. Um, she's a dear friend. Her name is Lentine Alexis, and she was with Scratch Labs as our pastry chef. She's now on her own. She's creating um, a food program for Rafa, which is who I'm a cycling ambassador for, women's and cycling ambassador. I got to know her about three years ago. She's been so kind to me on the bike, has been very gracious when we're riding. She's she's a a, almost a I believe a pro former pro athlete. Um, And she is very fast and, you know, wonderful. But she, her approach to food and fueling um, has really transformed the way I look at food and and being an athlete. And And what is her approach? Her, it's um, whole real food, um, the freshest and the most natural and, uh, you know, not using a lot of the cycling community. A lot of athletes use a lot of processed and packaged um, goods and she she makes her own. And so 
just whether it's like a granola bar for the bike or it's a larger meal and she's feeding a bunch of cyclists. Um, I just I appreciate her not only kindness, but her general approach to food and health. And that is a great person to nominate and closes our show for today. Kelly, thank you so much for joining me. Listeners, thank you so much for listening in. And David, thank you for eating and sharing your comments. Our engineer for the day. Anytime. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll look forward to being with you again next week. This has been Speaking Broadly, and I'm your host, Dana Cowan. Till next time. For listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.